0: I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome everybody to a special edition of First Class Fatherhood, the interview collection, volume one. I have assembled the sixth most downloaded interviews and packaged them together nicely here for one exciting special edition. Those interviews include Hall of Fame jockey Ramon Dominguez... World class showman Lefty Williams, Jed Lee's Reading with Your Kids number one podcast host Jed Darty, Navy SEAL Carl Higby, A list actor Dean Cain, and the lovely Mrs. Lace. All right, a couple of announcements before we begin. First off, the Middletown Public Library event has been postponed and pushed back one week to Saturday, May 26th at 11 a.m. I hope to see you there. Check my website, www.firstclassfatherhood.com for more details. Second, the team over at Anchor has placed the podcast in the running to be promoted with some upcoming paid ads that they'll be running on various social networks. So be on the lookout for that. Very exciting. All right, with that being said, please enjoy the following six interviews in their entirety. Kicking things off with Ramon Dominguez, who the day before the Kentucky Derby gave you the winning horse to bet on. So please enjoy the interviews here presented by First Class Fatherhood. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Very excited about today's guest, who once upon a time at Saratoga Racetrack managed to pull in six winners in one racing day. It's no wonder that he is a Hall of Fame jockey, also happens to be a First Class Father. I'm talking about Ramon Dominguez. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's not every day you ask a kid, hey, what does your dad do for a living? And he says he's a jockey over at Belmont Park, or a former jockey, I should say. Uh, Something different. How many kids do you have, Ramon? Two boys, two boys. Uh,
1: One that is going to be 12 uh, in July and one that is 13
0: and a half. Awesome. Do do the boys show any interest in picking up the family trade there? Do they want to ride? Do they want to become jockeys?
1: Uh, they have, ridden before, uh, they have gone to a couple camps, and, uh, and honestly, they don't really show that much interest, at least not yet. No, it's funny, because as you were introducing me, uh, I was thinking, because you say, well, it's not too often that you get to a father that, that is a professional jockey, but I feel like my kids, while I was riding, they thought that every father, that's what they did. Uh, we live right next to Belmont Park and they go to school nearby. And one day they went to the track and they, I just, with their friends, their friends are just blown away. Oh, look at the horses. And they're like, yeah, that's my dad. But just like, yeah, that's what my dad does. So uh, even now I don't think that they really um, think that it's anything special, just being an athlete. So, but they do enjoy going to the races, but I think it's more about just the, the whole atmosphere and the environment and just being, Around horses, but not so much about riding per se.
0: All right. Well, you've been retired now for five years. About do they miss seeing you out there? Do they want to see you back in the silks and back out on the racetrack?
1: No, no at all. And actually, sometimes like they will talk about what they want to do when they grow up, and I have asked them if they want to be a jockey, and uh, they don't really think that that's a good good choice given the the danger of the sport, so I'm okay with it. But I know they haven't really even talked about me going back to riding or anything like that, no.
0: What are some of the difficulties you face being a world-class jockey and a first-class father? Walk me through some of that.
1: Well, I feel like I managed to do well, just kind of keeping a balance. Um, but the challenge, of course, when you are fully committed, as I was and just riding a lot of races, um, to – have the time to to be with your family I mean in my 18, nineteen years career, I finally, after being married for the last thirteen years, I was able to to go to um, in vacation with my wife and kids and twice I did that and uh, both times I had to cut the vacation short because I uh, had to come back to ride a horse that i wasn 't really anticipating uh getting to ride so they continue with their vacation and I came back so that kind of exemplifies how challenging it is because it's not like a regular job where you say well I just take off although you have the ability to take off when you want at the same time uh, it's never easy because somebody else is waiting to ride your horses if that makes sense
0: all right, well, I don't go to the racetrack anywhere near as much as I used to, so maybe I'm not at liberty to say. So I'd like to get your opinion on this because it seems to me that the racetrack or the horse racing industry in general seems to be having a difficult time attracting that younger, millennial, uh, better-slash-fan. Uh, do you find that to be the case?
1: Yes, and and this is something that is a very uh, – it's, it's a talk I'm, I'm on – the racetrack goers and as well as the people who are directly involved in racing. And I will give you my opinion on that. And it's something very, very important to all of us who are somewhat connected to racing. So definitely there has been um, in the last few years, a shift in the way that we even communicate. And when you talk about not even the, the young, young kids like your kids, my kids, but even the millennials, uh, they are, at a very fast paced life right now where they just don't even call, they just text. And so I feel that like we need to evolve with society and be able to connect with they, with them the way they really just they speak the language, so to speak. So uh, I know that the tracks are definitely investing the time and the money to, to really tap into the understanding of how and why these people, what, what makes them fly, so to speak. So, um, and also with the even younger generation like your kids and my kids, the tracks, are, of course, want to create an environment where they will feel like, hey, it's okay to go to the track. And it's more of a family thing. Like Saratoga is a prime example of an amazing place where people don't even have to go to bed on the horses. Uh, they can go and just enjoy watching the, these beautiful animals or just getting signatures from the jockeys or trainers as they come back from uh, Running the races, so um, but I, I do think uh, definitely the track are diving into understanding what is uh, appealing to this new demographic, the millennials now.
0: All right. I and mean, I grew up going to Meadowlands, Aqueduct, Yonkers. Those are the tracks I kind of went to. And although they always packed them in, I mean, even on the weekdays, the place would be mobbed. I, it, I wouldn't necessarily call it a family atmosphere then. I mean, now I, I see they added the, the pony rides and the face painting and all this type of jazz. So back in the day, those weren't really the best places to hang around sometimes. Where you definitely didn't want to bring your kids or your or your wife to, the, to, to those places. But that's all turned around now, right? At most racetracks.
1: De- definitely. Yes. And right now, I mean, if you go again, I can talk f- from the tracks that I hear in New York, like, uh, Belmont and, and Saratoga are two racetracks who that that you can definitely go with your family and have a great time. And it's a safe and enjoyable place. So now people like you and, and I, um, we know how the game works and what the whole dynamic of, of racing. So we don't really need a whole lot of, a. Uh, Instruction, about uh, the the upcoming generation definitely need to have a better understanding of, of the beauty of the sport, and so that's why uh, they are really investing the time into understanding what is uh, the best way to approach them. All right, Ramon, what kind of advice would you give new fathers out there? Well, I can take a lot of advices myself, but uh, it's something that I absolutely love. My journey as a father. Uh, it is no an easy thing, especially when the kids are like my kids approaching these teenage years and they are getting a sense of independence, and uh, which is normal. At the same time, uh, I feel like I have learned to become a better listener, and instead of always uh, dictating and saying, "Well, this is the way it is," there is a time and a place for that. However, uh, it's also trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the kids and looking at life through their eyes and uh, coming to a common ground and, and One thing that I have learned recently is uh, as I try to uh, tell them to do something and they basically there is a little pushback, I'm open to asking them, you can uh, basically change the rules uh, if you give me a good reason. And sometimes they come back with a great explanation or a great argument and I say, you know what, great, we can do it that way. So it doesn't (laughs) have to be black and white. Uh, we can definitely come to a great area where we can communicate and basically negotiate, <laughs> and, uh, and it's actually great. It's something that is enjoyable because um, no one, regardless of how young they are and whether they are supposed to listen because you're their father, uh, no one really wants to be told all the time what to do. So it's great when there is this uh, common sense of uh, respect and understanding.
0: Well said, well said. All right, Hall of Fame jockey career in the books. Got any upcoming projects that you're looking forward to?
1: Yes, well, I'm working on actually a project. with um, I'm creating a platform that is going to have a, a sport equipment for jockeys and equestrian. That I am extremely excited because I know this is going to be something great for the animals, great for the sport, whether it is horse racing or show uh, jumping, you name it. Uh, it is something that is going to also be Great for the participants, like the riders and the jockeys. So um, uh, that's something that is going to be coming out uh, fairly soon.
0: Uh, Well, tomorrow is the 144th running of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Do you have a horse you could give my listeners, Ramon? Give us the inside pick here. Who do you like tomorrow in the race?
1: Yes, uh, Justify is, is my pick. I like him a lot for the Derby.
0: All right. If you can't get it from the horse's mouth, get it from the jockey's mouth. Hall of Fame jockey, no less. Ramon Dominguez. I cannot say thank you enough for giving me a few moments of your time here on First Class Fatherhood.
1: Anything else you'd like to add? No. Again, thank you so much for having me. and all Good luck and best wishes to all the fathers and enjoy the, the experience and enjoy the journey of being a father.
0: All right. Ramon Dominguez, everybody. I'm going to be right back after a quick spot. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, if you've been watching the series Little Big Shots with Steve Harvey, you would have known my next guest son, his youngest son, the Little Dribbler. I'm talking about Lefty Williams, former Harlem Globetrotter and current Harlem Dreams showman. Lefty Williams, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
2: Thank you. How's it going?
0: All right. Not too bad. Now, I have a three year old daughter myself and I get a chance to go see her ballet recitals. And I know the kind of feeling I get just watching that. Could you kind of walk me through the emotions as a dad watching CJ up there in front of millions of people?
2: Um, I mean, my kids have always been around it. So it's kind of it's kind of different. You know, my my kids have always been around um, seeing me around it, you know, being a former uh, Harlem Globetrotter and, and being the showman of the Harlem dreams. Um my, my kids have just always been around it, but it's it's always a good feeling you know um some of it was actually edited out. Uh, I did the show with him, but um we didn't want to. we didn't want to uh, take away from what c j brings because as you see on the show here's a three year old going toe to toe with Steve Harvey. you know what I mean he definitely held his own he's the youngest kid to do the show, so we were really, really excited about that so you know so I was actually behind stage getting ready to come out. You know, and um, but but we, we, you know, very very excited. My wife, all my children, um, uh, every, everyone's really excited.
0: My wife is a Jersey City girl, too. So, the, the shout out to Jersey City made a lot of people very happy. I can tell you that.
2: Oh, yeah, tell me about it. He's not even from Jersey City, he knows that mom and dad is, but he's not even from Jersey City. Oh, I thought City. that and was he, great you
0: know, when he hit him with that. Yeah,
2: yeah, he he, he didn't he didn't, you know, a three year old you have to prep with questions, you know, and he didn't he didn't he didn't even let Steve get a chance to ask any questions, Steve uh-huh. asked. No questions that 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 was a part of the pre interview, like it was really, it was really like a freestyle. That segment, I promise you, um, was a freestyle.
0: That was pretty amazing. Now, let me ask you this as far as how does he turn that off? Does he turn that showmanship off, or is it kind of like that 24 hours a day with him?
2: No, my son's like that 24/7. You know, uh, CJ's like that, EJ's like that, my daughter Kiara's like that um they just have a knack for uh for for what it is that you know for entertainment they see daddy do it they've seen daddy do it so it's just it's that's just that's just them you know what I mean like I don't know any other way to any other way to put it they they you know they're that's them 24-7
0: and how are they as siblings now how do they handle like especially CJ spotlight how are they with each other do they have their normal
2: camaraderie they're very supportive oh yeah now everybody has their own little thing going on you know my daughter Um, is getting ready to do something with Nickelodeon CJ just did something with NBC Uh, EJ and CJ just filmed a movie together for Netflix Uh, EJ and CJ is in the middle of um, they just finished filming uh, an NBA commercial for ESPN that's getting ready to air if it's not already airing for the second round of the playoffs so it's like like my kids are embedded in the industry so it's not it's not a thing where you know um, one person is worried about the other in our house when one person wins we all win And it's just, you know, it's, it's that type of thing. Sometimes it's harder. I,
0: I I love that philosophy Lefty. I got four kids myself. And I, and when people ask me, like, where do you see your kids in 10 years? First thing out of my mouth is healthy, wealthy, successful. Like I see my kids being successful. And I love that, that the way that you do it, the way you're parenting, man, we could all take a little bit of something from you. What kind of advice do you have for new dads out there?
2: Um, just, just be present. You know, the, the father being present means everything, you know, um, things shift and change, not just for males, but for females as well. When dad isn't around and dad's not available and dad's not home, it just, you just need to be present. You know, and for, for me, it's uh, fine tuning, what my kids are good at and not trying to mold them into what I want it to be. Well, I mean the, the season, season just wrapped, but uh, we just finished doing some things in South Carolina. Uh, we did NBC, we did Fox, uh, we did some schools. We was in uh, Orangeburg, South Carolina. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's an early, early, early uh, organization. Um, the guy who used to represent my career is now my business partner, and uh, people don't know that I'm really I'm the co-founder of the organization. A lot of people don't know that. You know, we're in twenty other countries, uh, excuse me, thirty other countries, twenty uh, U.S. states, eight provinces of Canada, and it's quickly growing. We're we're present everywhere, as you can see. CJ just wore his. Uh, you can't tell him he's not a member of the Dreams. You know, he wore his his uh, Harlem dreams t-shirt and using his Harlem dreams basketball with Steve Harvey, you know, so we're, we're present.
0: A, a Harlem dream in the waiting there for sure. You're definitely an inspiration to me. And I, I definitely want to get to your level of inspiration towards others and just getting the word out there to young dads that, Hey, fatherhood is an awesome experience and a great journey. And just to, to not be afraid to embrace it. And I, you know, I just really love the message and everything you stand for.
2: No, I appreciate it. It is something that you got to embrace because my dad, wasn't really there for me. He was in and out of my life. He was mentally, physically abusive. He was an alcoholic. He was a heroin addict. And uh, you know, I I I had, everything that I'm doing I learned on the fly, you know, and and my grandfather was in my life the high school years. Um, but the early years, the earlier you get to the children, the better. Um uh, my dad and I, we ended up having a a a great closure to our relationship uh prior to his uh his passing in 2014. Um, So I love my dad and I I appreciate getting to know who he is and and, and what what made him, you know, make those type of choices that he's made. But I think the earlier we get to the children, the better.
0: I think it's very important what you just said there, too, because it it goes a long way to say that just because of the experiences that you've had in your life doesn't mean that history necessarily has to repeat itself. There is an opportunity to change, learn, develop and grow from those experiences and turn it around and really make a difference, which is what you did. And, man, that's why I say you're, you're a very inspiring person, man. It's awesome to hear.
2: Appreciate
0: it. What do you got coming up now? We we'll, we'll look forward to the, well, right. the Williams family in the future here.
2: Well, right now we're, uh, right now we're finalizing our app. We just did a deal with Mizzou family. So you can watch, uh, look for in the next week or so. The dare to dream app. That's dare. The number two, the word dream uh, mobile app where it does everything It, it um, from teaching different kids, how to learn from an age difference from an age two to six uh, to trivia to Things about uh, up and coming events with Lefty, to games. There's games on there, to chatting with me. There's so many things coming up. Um, the app it's free, free download available by way of uh, Apple and, and Google. Um, the Dare to Dream Foundation. Uh, you can go to uh, dare2dream.xyz to, to find out more information on my 501c3 organization. Uh, that's the word dare, the number two, the word dream.xyz. And it's a it's a character and uh, development and sports development foundation where we teach kids not just how to become great athletes, but but to become uh, great citizens. If I was to leave anything, leave a leave a uh, leave a quote, maybe maybe just leave a quote um, that I'd leave you know for for anybody listening, any father, any kids listening, and that's this uh, success for me was failure turned inside out. Yes, I was scared. Yes, I had to take risks, uh, but God was with me every step of the way, and I'm so glad I didn't allow fear to give me a life sentence called doubt. I want everybody out there to just dare to dream. This is your boy, Lefty. Stay tuned. I'm, I'm proud of this, you know, that, that you're doing this podcast and, and, and showing fathers in the first class. Like,
0: awesome message. Lefty Williams, everybody, from the Harlem Dreams, his son, CJ Williams. You've seen him on the little big shots, the tiny dribbler. Man, Lefty, thank you so much for taking me a second here on First
2: Class Fatherhood. Anytime. Thank you so much. I appreciate All what we'll you're doing. We'll be back after a quick spot.
0: All right. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. I will be speaking to another First Class Father, a former licensed and certified social worker. He has been inspiring audiences as Jed Lee since 1983. He has brought a magical message of caring and community to millions of hearts in the United States and Puerto Rico. Jed Darty, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
3: Thank you, Alec. Great to be here.
0: I've been able to listen to the podcast, getting ready for this interview coming up. And Boy, you really have a lot of ambition. You put a lot of work. It really comes through on the podcast. You could tell that you have such a passion for this. How did you get started doing this?
3: You know, I loved talk radio growing up. It was something that uh, I spent hours and hours listening to, you know, different uh, talk masters here in Boston, starting when I was a little kid. And, and uh, you know, when podcasting came along a few years ago, I thought, this is Really neat. And I I was always looking for a way to connect with the parents of of the kids who were seeing my live shows. And so a couple of years back, I started a a show that was meant to be a companion to my live um, educational magic show. And it was called the We Choose Respect uh, podcast because the live show is called We Choose Respect. We interviewed different uh, parenting experts and psychologists and doctors and and authors. And, and it was a lot of fun. But one of the things I I, I discovered was uh, while we had a big audience, it it wasn't the kids of, of, it wasn't the parents of the kids who were seeing my live show. There were, there were folks from all over and. And it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but it kind of, you know, ran its course. We did like 200 episodes or so of that. Wow. And I, I I took a break, uh, but I was missing it. And, um, so I wanted to come back and, and I, I remembered, you know, during that first podcast, one of the things I really enjoyed was talking to children's authors and talking about how, important it is and how uh, the the, you know the time how important the time we spend reading with our kids is and how it not only helps them learn how to read it it helps them um develop vocabulary that's one
0: of the things you say too it helps you to develop a vocabulary which is so important i'm a big advocate of reader the listeners know i mean i i read a book a week Uh, i encourage my kids to read they constantly see me read and when you, bu- when you build that vocabulary, it, it gives you the opportunity to use the language in a certain way that you can articulate your point and make it clear. So people know exactly what you want. And that's what we want to try to teach the kids. Isn't it it's through reading?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so much kids can learn. They can learn that the, the, the vocabulary, um, you know, I'm a guy, I, I love to read. I read, you know, things that will kind of expand my knowledge base and all that. And I also read a lot of mind candy, you know, um, thrillers and sci-fi and, and all that and it's amazing the the knowledge you get from reading that kind of mind candy like all of a sudden it's like oh wow that's how that machine right. works and, and um you know even for myself you know uh we were talking earlier about just, there's so many adults that don't read and don't take advantage of it i'll tell you
0: what a lot of people have been reaching out to me asking me hey what did you do how'd you get your podcast up on the charts like that what are you doing right first thing i say to people is, hey, before i even launch this thing I read two books about podcasters that were very highly successful. People have done this. Why not read their story? It could give you a little insight on how maybe you could accomplish it.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things, you know, I present educational magic shows. And uh, so I have a lot of young magicians come up to me and they say, what, what do I need to do next? And I'll always tell them, go take an acting class. Go take a dance class. One
0: but, book I always recommend, too, it's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Absolutely. I have like one to read about just kind of public speaking, dealing with people. I mean, it's a very important book.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's such a different experience than sitting down and watching a movie or watching a TV show. And uh, y- yeah, you can learn a lot from those things and you can grow from those things. But it's not it's not the same. Yeah, you know, I just finished a, a book, and I experienced it through an audiobook. So it was, I spent a lot of time listening at the gym and and listening while I was traveling, and it was a, a great experience, great read. Um, it was 17 hours, and it was you know really in depth, and we I learned a lot about the characters and and. and the reason I picked up that audiobook was because it was a hit movie. And if I'd gone to see the movie, it would have been an hour and a half. You uh, know, yeah, but. we <laughs>
0: really touched on that because I recently uh, got involved with audiobooks. I drive part time for Uber, and I found sure. that it's a great way to, in between fares or even in my earpiece on my Bluetooth because most people now when they get in the cab they have their face glued to the screen anyway they're not talking with you but it's right. a great way to help promote the podcast i jumped into audiobooks and i never thought i would like it and and boy i've actually gone back to books i've read just to hear the audiobook It's a different experience
3: yeah it is it really is immersive you know i loved when the kids were younger to you know grab an audiobook and to have it on in the car when we we're driving and it, you know experiencing the stories in that way with the kids it was another way to kind of read With your kids, as you know, you're listening. One of the things that I've discovered in in, parents, once kids start to read on their own, a lot of parents sit back and they go, okay, well, well, I'm done reading with them because they can read on their own right now. But a kid who's in first grade, who's able to read a first grade book. Is able to listen to a fifth or sixth or an eighth grade book. Their listening level is much higher than their reading level. Keep on reading with your kids, even once they start. Yo, know, they can pick up a book to get one. That's great. Read by yourself, but let's read together because you know you're reading Dr. Seuss, and maybe you and I, when you're in first grade, we can start reading the Harry Potter together, and we can read aloud. And one of the books that I hope that you'll share with your little princess and, and with your seven year old. Is my book? I just published. It's it's just out. It's called Real Magic, and it tells the story of uh, of a moment when I was on stage in New Jersey. I don't mention it in the book, but it it actually happened in New Jersey, in Union City, New Jersey, a little more than twenty five years ago, because my son hadn't been born yet. In Union City, there's eighteen hundred kids at this school, this this show, and asked uh, brought a kid up from the audience, and uh, when when I Selected the kid and the, the the girl stood up. Beautiful, a girl, beautiful brown eyes. When she stood up, the teachers around her kind of go. And I thought, well, that's you know, it happens a lot. Maybe she's just talkative and will have fun. And and she came up on stage, and I said, hey, what's your name? And nothing, not a response at all. And I said, well, Union City is a lot of Latino families here, so I said, ¿Cómo se llama? Still nothing. Wow. And I said, well, maybe you're just nervous. There's a lot of people. Hey, could you please, could you please help my friend feel welcome? Give her a nice round of applause. And at that moment, she said, me llamo es Maria. Wow. And I said, oh, Maria, hey. And so I try to speak to her in English, I Spanish, and I speak to the audience in English, but I'd reverse it sometimes. and 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 And, you know, so that was funny. But the thing I started to notice was she was answering me in whatever language I spoke to her. She was speaking English and Spanish. And so she did the, the magic trick and, and, you know, she went back to her seat and the audience gave her a nice round of applause, but I didn't realize the magic that had happened until after the show, when the teacher came up to me with tears in her eyes and she explained that, uh, that Maria was autistic and she'd been in the school for two years. And in that entire time, she hadn't said a word to anybody in any language. Wow. In fact, the, te- the teachers thought that she was without language.
0: Boy, that had to knock you off your socks there, that one.
3: It certainly did. And it just, it reminded me of just how powerful kindness is.
0: Finding the right way to communicate to a child sometimes is is half the battle. If you could just find the right way to produce the material to them where they can absorb it, I mean, then you got it made.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and
0: I find that with me. I mean, I got I got four completely different individuals as children. So they all need a certain little bit of finesse of talking to in a certain way. And, and that's with all children. They're all different. And they, you just have to find that way to open up their mind, open up their eyes. You're able to do this uh, with a wide variety of children all across the country. That, that's amazing to hear. To see somebody like you out there doing this is great.
3: Well, it's, it's been a blessing to me. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful. It was never something I dreamed of as a kid. I was kind of led into it and it's how I met my wife and, you know, I was still struggling to figure out how to make, make a living at it. And she was, she was my inspiration and my support. And we finally, you know, made it go and it's, it's been my full-time job for uh, close to 30 years now. And it's, uh it's been amazing. It's taken me to places that I never would have gone to on my own. And, um, you know, that, that one experience that I shared in, in my new book, real magic is just one of uh, hundreds of experiences that I had with kids. It would, tr- that w- it was truly, truly magical.
0: Well, Jed, tell everybody where we could find you.
3: Well, you can find out more about my live show at jedley.com J E D L I E jedly.com There's also links uh, to the books there, uh, the podcast is the Reading With Your Kids podcast, and that can be found at readingwithyourkids.com. And of course, uh, my books are available on Amazon under my under my stage name, my author name Jedley J-E-D-L-I-E. Jedley, do you have a favorite children's book of your own that you like to read maybe to your kids or
0: you still visit or it's one that you always
3: go to? I do. It is by Tommy DePaulo and is called The Clown of God. Incredibly powerful, uh, especially from, you know, me being a clown, a magician for my kids. Um, really, really touching story. Um, and yeah, I highly recommend that book.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Jed Doherty, everybody, a First Class Father. He told you all the information. You can find out more on my Facebook page, on my Twitter page, and uh, I will be tweeting it throughout the day. So, uh, Jed, I can't say thank you enough for coming on the podcast.
3: Alex, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Looking forward to meeting you in in, in the real world.
0: Yes, sir. I will see you down the line. See you at the top, as Zig Ziglar would say.
3: <laughs> take care, my All friend. Jed,
0: right. yeah, take care. We're back after a quick break. All right. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a former Navy SEAL who was a member of the team responsible for capturing the Butcher of Fallujah. He is the author of Battle on the Homefront and Enemies, Foreign and Domestic. He also happens to be a first-class father. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood, Carl Higby. Well, thanks for having me on. Also, uh, he's going to be adding another uh, candle on his birthday take today. Happy birthday, Carl.
4: One year older.
0: <laughs> All right, just to uh, bring the listeners into this here, I reached out to Carl about a tweet. Let me just share the tweet with the, with the listeners you had tweeted out. Remember when our society idolized strong figures who worked hard, had no excuses, and fought to win. Now we settle for mediocrity, idolize wimpy social justice warriors, and tiptoe around political correctness. Now that struck a chord with me because I was a part of that society who idolized strong male figures. Break it down for me, Carl. What happened, and how as dads can we push back and turn it back around?
4: I'll tell you, you know, it, it's disheartening because, you know, I have two young children, and uh, I, I see them being brought up in a world where you know, people aren't idolized for their successes or victories. They're idolized because, you know, of mediocrity. And that, to me, is hard to cope with. You know, I'm I I'm not a person who's accustomed with settling for less. Everything I've ever done, I've done it to the maximum amount of my ability. And, you know, small story, my daughter had a gymnastics event. You know, the, everybody gets a medal, whether or not they complete the task or not. And that, that to me is a really hard thing to cope with, because back when we were growing up, I'm, I'm 35 today. So it's not, you know, I wasn't a kid that long ago. But even then, you were rewarded for winning. And I see people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, look, politically, I don't agree with him that much anymore. But at the end of the day, like, he is a classic example of setting your mind to something, overcoming all odds and winning and doing it well, and that is something that needs, that mentality is no longer taught in today's schools, and it's really disheartening.
0: There are people out there that that I do see that wanna idolize the strong figures, especially father figures. As dads, what can we do to change this or push back?
4: Well, you gotta teach your kids. Now, there's there's this big movement in our school system now where the students belong not to the parents, but they belong to the school, they belong to the communities, and they belong to society. And and that's fundamentally false. I think that's part of the reason. You know, without getting too political on this issue, I, it is it is a problem that you know. There's no wonder in the most prosperous nation in the entire globe uh, ever, we have our suicide rates have tripled in the last twenty years, and that's a societal problem. And it is a problem because a sometimes parents don't take the necessary initiative to you know raise their kids properly with the right values because. Either they don't have time, they don't have the financial resources, or they just don't care. It is something that every single parent must address. So when I'm with my kids, I make sure that my phone is down, I am in front of them, and we are paying attention to to the certain things. And I try to have every single day, because I have an ex-wife and I'm currently married with another child, and every single day with both my children, I try to instill some sort of lesson into something we are doing that is fun.
0: What age do you think is the, a good age to introduce a cell phone or social media to the kids? Yeah, I actually shut
4: down my Facebook in protest to this whole thing, which is, you know, for me, it was one of my main distribution platforms for a lot of my content. And I still shut it down because I believe principle overpower.
0: The only time I got a Facebook account was just recently. I never had one before I started this podcast. So that's the only reason I'm on there. So I'm with you yeah. on that.
4: And and it's tough. But the other issue is, is like, you know, my kids are, are young. I don't think there's a place for. Kids that age to be on social media because you don't know what's out there. It's too creepy. I mean, back in the day, my, when my parents were growing up, they're, they're, the rule was come home before uh, the sun goes down in the summer. And that could be nine o'clock.
0: Correct. And if you were sitting in the house, they'd look at you and say, What are you doing in here? Get out of the house. Go outside. Exactly. Uh, listen, exactly. What age do you think is a good age to introduce gun safety, guns, and all that to your children?
4: I think the sooner the better on this. And this is highly controversial. And I've actually been involved with my ex-wife and a number of litigation court uh, courses on this the nra did a documentary on my divorce because of it um the i think the fundamental thing is look guns are not for everybody and that's fine but i think children learning about guns and seeing them as something for what they are rather than an icon that they've never seen Because then they're curious. When I was eight years old, we found a gun in my friend's dad's sock drawer. What we were doing there, I don't know. We were just being mischievous and looking through his stuff. Um, But we found that gun and we were playing with it. Well, turns out it was loaded. And we just didn't know how to turn off the safety because we were eight. That is a problem. That right there, yeah. And to be honest, like you you can knock a lot of things on that. But I would never seen one. He had never seen one. Now, I did have a friend who, around the same age, had, been, had grown up around guns, been exposed to guns, and he knew very well, never touch a gun without an adult there.
0: I really don't know much about them. I didn't have much exposure to them in my life. So that's why it's, it's awesome to have a chance to talk to somebody like you that's experienced. Now, if, you, if I was going to get myself some gun safety and procedures and wanted to keep a gun for protection at home with kids, what do I do? What's the best way to do it?
4: So here's the thing, my gun, right, you know, like I, I am, a, I am obviously a SEAL, so I have a lot of gun background, but I, I also, you have to be, uh, you know, understanding of the fact that many people don't know guns and therefore fear them. Guns, you know, either I have the best behaved guns in the world or guns don't actually kill people because my guns don't get up out of the safe and shoot people. Um, I have had a break into my house and I have dealt with it with a firearm. That was some um, story in your book, man. That was crazy. Four guys coming in. What,
0: what, they, they picked the wrong house. Yeah, I mean
4: you literally could have picked any house within a mile of me and it would have been like a senior citizen, but it happened to be mine. Wow. Um, but the the other thing too is my gun is either on my hip or in my safe. It is never anywhere else. And that's it, whether my children are in the house or not, because A, it's a practice, and B, it's the way things should be done. Because I, I wanna I wanna stress, you know, P, two A people beat the drum all the time and say, Oh, you know, Second Amendment right blow Yes, we have the Second Amendment right, but that you know With that, with great ability comes great responsibility. And especially around kids, you have a heightened level of responsibility if you're going to own a firearm. And I want to tell people out there, I encourage people to teach their kids gun safety. I encourage them to talk about guns. I encourage them to let them see guns and touch them. You know, They don't have to shoot them just so they know that they are not this fictitious instrument that when they find one, it's all of a sudden this, this massively taboo thing that they just want to get into.
0: Right. Usually the only time we see guns will be like on the TV and it's some kind of movie where the guy's holding it gangster style and firing off a few rounds. So that's what we kind of, you know, someone yeah. like me that's not exposed to all the guns, it, it looks unrealistic until, you're, until it's in your hand. Like you said, you find yourself in that situation with a loaded weapon and all of a sudden it's, it's realistic really quick.
4: Exactly. The same. You're talking about those Hollywood movies. The same people in Hollywood that are making millions and millions and millions of dollars on movies with guns correct or i just i just wrote an op-ed it's up on my twitter account this morning i wrote it up on softrep.com about the second amendment and and those are the people that protest
0: guns the loudest it's like well why don't you put your money where your mouth is and stop making movies about rocket launchers it's the same thing with sex call they keep saying the same thing that every every poster that they put for the new movies got a girl with no clothes on exactly Even the commercials today during like a a regular sports game that we have to deal with. You hear Viagra commercials, Cialis commercials. It's never ending.
4: Yeah. And the problem is, is we are not, as parents, we are not afforded the ability through the advent of the internet and social media to really be the ones to be the gateway of the information of certain controversial things to with our own kids. And it's bad, but the only way to do it is to positively influence them on things, you know, and I say like, Second Amendment is a classic example. The sooner you start teaching
0: safety, the more assured you can be safe. On a different note, how, how do you feel about, like, football, contact sports, and letting your kids, at what age do you think introducing them to, like, football would be? I mean, I'll be honest. I was, uh, you know, I, I showed up for football my freshman year of high
4: school at 110 pounds. My knees were actually wider than my thighs, and they told me to take a hike. So um, I went in, I found the wrestling room where there were weight classes, and I ended up being a state champ. Um, I, 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 will say that, uh, the problem is with these impact sports and things like that, kids are getting bigger, faster, stronger. You look at someone from, you know, played football in the fifties. That was a, a record setter. They don't hold a candle to our collegiate players now. I mean, Correct. that is how far it's come granted at the same time, like you can't wrap your kids in bubble wrap. I, I always tell people, I think there's, there's two types of people in this world. There's people who have been punched in the face and there's people that haven't. And how you react to being punched in the face is a measure of your character. And I I think that, you know, I'm not saying go out and punch kids in the face. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that let your kid get punched in the face and don't cry and don't sue and don't freak out. Let him learn from it. And if that means getting hit hard in football, fine. But I think that, you know, our kids today, like, look, I was eating dirt and digging holes in the backyard from such a young age. And my parents let me do it. They're like, hey, don't dig down in a deep in a hole and get hit in the head with a rock. Well, guess what I did? Dug deep down in a hole and got hit in the head with a
0: rock, and I learned not to do it anymore. Seems, like you said, the society seems to have gotten soft. Even me, when I played high school football, there was a kid broke his ankle during practice. The coach was like, "Let's uh, don't call an ambulance. Call a hearse. Move the practice up 20 yards. I don't know where all that mentality has gone.
4: I know. It, it, what it is, it's the wussification of America. And it, it's, it's unfortunate. It's the It's the trophies for mediocrity. It's the... It's all that stuff. And what it is, is that people are afraid of losing. People are afraid of failure now. And so, like, failure for me, as I, you know, I wrestled in high school and college. One of the lessons that I learned the most was from the matches in wrestling that I lost. And the ones that I lost the worst, I learned the most from. And it was because losing is a true testament to your character. Getting punched in the face is the true testament of your character. and How you react to that. Defines how much success you will have in your life, and my parents instilled a, a huge set of morals in me by saying, you know, I, for instance, my senior year of high school, I wrestled one seventy one, and I went all the way to the state finals, and I ended up pinning the guy in the state finals. And I turned around instead of jumping up and celebrating, it was in the first minute of the match. Instead of jumping up and celebrating, I turned around and helped the guy up, and I got MVP of the per- tournament because of that.
0: Wow, yeah, and- that, yeah, that's almost like Barry Sanders in a sense: score the touchdown, give the ball to the referee. Yeah. I mean, and my parents
4: taught me that because my parents said, you know, this is how you act. That kid went out there and I wrestled with him. I'd wrestled him a number of times before the tournament and I knew him and I knew that he went out there and he brought everything he had. And I, you know, it was a man to man competition and I was better than him on that day. And there are there was another day where he was better than me.
0: Yeah. and And that's competition. And that's what makes us better. And like you said, I mean, that's how we learn and how we grow. Now, as a parent, have you caught yourself repeating things that your parents used to say to you?
4: I have. Of course I have. And a lot of them are things, ironically, where I was like, geez, my parents don't know what I'm talking about. Well, here I am saying the same thing, you know, (laughs) years later.
0: What books do you read to your
4: kids? Like what bedtime stories? Uh, So actually, I'm a huge Dr. Seuss fan. You know, it's funny. I I was going through Dr. Seuss and I'm reading some of the things in there that if those books were written today, it would be. Mass suicide for you know the liberal ideology because it is so some of the things are so politically incorrect on their you know generalizations and you know what who cares it's a kid's story but I, I'm reading these things and I don't I'm not offended by it but I know certain people would be. What kind of music do you listen to with your children? What kind of songs do you sing with them at night, put them to sleep? Uh, well, I actually can't carry a tune to save the life of me, um, but. You know, we, we listen to a lot of country music. Uh, my, my daughter actually really
0: took a liking to it. I like it. So that's uh, that, that is what we have in our house. All right. Was there, was there any aspect of SEAL training that got you ready to navigate fatherhood? Any, any certain aspect? Uh, patience. <laughs> we have, patience is tough. Yeah. No, but it you, definitely is. Are you, are you planning on any more, Carl? No. I'm good with two. All right. Uh, any upcoming projects? Where can we find you? uh got a lot of things going on you can go to carl or you can follow me on twitter all right guys former navy seal first class father carl higby happy birthday thank you very much for giving us a few moments of your time thank you all right carl we'll be back after a quick break welcome back to first class fatherhood joining me now is a first class father who also happens to be a well-known celebrity He has starred in such roles as Superman in the 1990s hit series Lois and Clark. He was the outstanding host of Ripley's Believe It or Not. And he has got a multitude of other acting credits to his name. You guys know exactly who I'm talking about. Dean Cain, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. (laughs) Thank you very much. If I were to call myself anything,
5: it would be a First Class father.
0: All right. I love to hear that. Let me kick things off with this. The picture that's pinned to your Twitter page is in a very powerful place in the kingdom of Jordan. Walk me through that. What was it like to experience such a historical place with your son by your side?
5: Yeah. So my son goes to a a Christian high school. He's a Christian. I'm a Christian. And um, I'm also a big history buff. So I love history. It just turns out that, uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to travel with my son over to Jordan, uh, and, and if you're studying the Bible, you you hear about uh, Saint John the Baptist um, baptizing Jesus in Bethany beyond the Jordan, which which they worked it out and figured out exactly where it was. Not that long ago, they found the, the exact spot and they they dug it up, and it's a great place. It's the uh, it's the baptism site for Jesus Christ in in Jordan, and it's unbelievable to see and feel that history and to be able to be there with my son and experience that. They, they say that the the air is thinner in certain places between, say, earth and heaven as you perceive it. And I, I, I tell you what, it really felt to me like that was, that was the case, being in that spot. So to be there with my son was
0: one of the greatest, most moving uh, and wonderful moments I've ever had with him. All right. Now I got the story to go along with the picture there. Very nice. (laughs) All right. I want to turn my attention now to a hot button issue. Usually all over Twitter is surrounding gun control, gun safety. I was fortunate enough to have a Navy SEAL on the podcast here to talk about this a little bit. I noticed that you post some pictures up there of shooting guns with your son. So I'm curious to get your opinion on this. When do you think is the appropriate time to introduce guns and gun safety to your children? Well, I think, you know, talking about them early on is important. And I don't know that there's a specific
5: age that I would go for. Maybe it's a a level of maturity for the children. Um, But um, my son, we have been, um, we have been, I I grew up in a, in a household with my grand, my, well, my grandfather was a uh, commander in the Navy. My uncle was Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force. Uh, There was a lot of military, a lot of hunters in our family. So I grew up with the idea of gun safety um, early I never really was exposed to firearms that much until I was maybe um, in junior high school. Um, And the first thing that that was always taught to me from the very beginning was safety, 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 safety. And I learned that very early on. And then um, after college really is when I got into a lot more shooting than I do now. So for my son, what I thought was important because I have firearms here at the house and I'm, uh, and I'm very clear on on how to use them and how to work with them even the even airsoft guns, things of that nature we treat every firearm, even the airsoft guns as though they are a deadly weapon if or you know, but I don't look at them so much as weapons as I look at them as tools too. They're a tool to do a job and that job is to protect you or to take down a target or whatever it happens to be so we we were for my son, we started I don't know he was probably he was probably around uh nine or 10 years old the first time he fired a shotgun um, and he didn't like it. And this is a kid who plays a lot of video games. So when they talk about how video games and things like that lead to violence, this is a kid who played some um, some violent video games, but the moment he shot a real weapon, um, it was a whole different world. Uh, I suggest people talking about firearms and firearm safety um, from a very early age, the same as you do when you have a knife or a hammer or a piece of glass or something sharp. Um, I think it's something important, especially here in the United States with our Second Amendment rights, that people be aware of them. And and they're not this crazy, awful thing. You may or may not like a firearm and you don't have you don't by any means have to have one or use one. But they are um, a I think a very it's, I think it's very important for people to learn firearm
0: safety and learn it young. Your son might not necessarily need the weaponry. It looks like he's doing pretty good on the mats over there with Brazilian jiu jitsu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when did you get him involved in that? Or is that something that he jumped into?
5: You know, it's a funny thing is I wrestled a lot in high school. I played, I played a lot of sports. I played football, baseball, basketball. I played every sport under the sun. I loved athletics. I loved team sports. And then I wrestled in high school. And I wrestled some into college, too, um, but just intramurally in college with guys who were great high school wrestlers. And I really always enjoyed wrestling. And I was always very good at it. It was something that I was very talented at. Um, my son and I would wrestle at home all the time. And uh, I realized, you know what, this kid is—it's <laughs> a very good wrestler. He understands body and body position and and, and torque and everything. So I—I I, he didn't seem to love uh, team sports. He didn't love football or basketball. He didn't—he just didn't like them. So um, I encouraged him to to try out uh, jujitsu, and he got in there and started taking to it right away. He was probably. Oh gosh, I don't know what was it, eighth grade, maybe? Seventh seventh grade. In seventh grade or eighth grade, I think he did that. And he has taken to it, you know, he stands about six three and he's about hundred and sixty pounds. So okay. he's big he's a bean pole. So he stands in there and he looks like a giant of a man on you know, and he's very tall with his gi, but he, he only weighs 160 pounds. And he loves to he loves to he loves the competition of it. It's a, it's a, it's wonderful. So I love it for him because it teaches him well he's got an extreme level of self-confidence because he's able to protect himself but he's not a bully and 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 part of that when you learn martial arts like that you understand the humility that you have to carry with with knowing that art and he really takes that to task and um i have seen him grow as a young man as a and as a human being uh because of his participation and also there was also a really pretty girl i think that he wanted to to, to chase over at the jiu-jitsu gym. So
0: that helped him with his motivation as well. All right. Yeah, a little motivation, a little inspiration, whatever it takes. Yeah, I, I train Brazilian jiu-jitsu myself, and, and I do plan on introducing it to my three boys at some point. Uh, my oldest just turned 12, so. Great time to do it. Yeah, you, you're right. You're right. Okay. Many of my listeners are single dads who are actively asking me to bring more awareness to some of their struggles in the journey. Uh, what could you share with them about your journey as a single dad?
5: woo we have an hour for this because <laughs> I could talk for days on this subject. Uh, I'm a single father. Um, my my son's mother and I weren't uh, we weren't married when we when we conceived. Uh, and I just wanted to be a present father. And I wanted to be a um, a, 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 a strong, really a strong present father. Uh, and we weren't meant to be a couple. And but she didn't see it that way. And so we had to go to court and fight about it, unfortunately. Um when he was, I, I, I was adopted. So my, my biological father, he split before I was even born. Uh, I was adopted by my father when I was four, four years old. And he has been such an unbelievably positive and wonderful um, mentor and role model and father to me. It's incredible. And I realized where I could have gone without that sort of uh, parenting. And he's a very different father than I am. But, um, but unbelievable. I, so much so that I named my son after my father they share the same name wow so um we had to fight for custody um unfortunately and uh, i don't think it was set up to be particularly even uh even-handed i had um a a certain amount of money i mean it cost me it it took about 14 months and over a million dollars in legal fees for me to win joint custody of my son and i but i did and uh, I have proven to be a, an exceptional father, I think, and so, so much so that my son's mother, I've had full custody of my son since he's about nine. But my son's mother, you know, she, she'd probably be the first person to tell you that I'm the, the best father that she's ever seen. I am completely committed to my son and being a father. I love being a parent. I love being, he's my favorite person to hang around with and uh, travel with and do things with. Um, he's my friend, but he's also my son. You know, there's no, theres it's very clear that I'm the father and he's the son and um it's just been an unbelievable journey we're super super close as a result and how about his relationship with his mother how's that uh, his mother and he are still on very good terms i mean they live she only lives 15 minutes away 20 minutes away and they see each other all the time she's welcoming to be part of his family as a little brother and sister half brother and sister that aren't mine although they they <laughs> um they treat me as though i am their father sometimes they're very sweet and i love having them around and with us and they're certainly part of the family um but uh, being a single father is, you know, it's it's difficult. The hardest part for me was was balancing work and life. And and I you hear a lot about that with, with single mothers much more often than you hear about single fathers. Well, I've been doing this as a single father for 18 years, working, doing all the work and, and raising the child. I mean, I cook breakfast, lunch and dinner, you know, I, and I have and I pick them up from school and drop them off. Now, I had to have help for a few years because sometimes I'd have to go away and it'd be difficult. But. Uh, it's there's been nothing like it. I I really changed my work in that I wouldn't take any series. Um, I wouldn't take the lead in any series in Los Angeles or anywhere because you're gone 18 hours a day and I would have been an absentee father. And I refused to do that. Uh, and I wouldn't take any series that shot outside of Los Angeles. Uh, I also wouldn't take any series, any, any film or, t- or, or movie, television movie or anything like that, that shot longer than three weeks again, because those were the limits i you know, put on myself uh, for a distance with my son. I wanted things to be completely normal and ha- and be around him all the time. I coach his football, baseball, basketball teams. I was at, I was at everything. I can't coach him in jujitsu, but I show up at every event I can be in. I, I love being a, a father and, and being present in his life. So I was willing to make all of those sacrifices to, to be his father. And I know how important it is when I see him look at me or when he tells me how much he appreciates what I do and, You know, he says, you know, it's it's ridiculous. I tell the kid I love him, you know, 65 times a day Um, and he says it back. And it's pretty sweet for a big old six
0: foot three, 18 year old boy to say that to his dad. Yeah. Beautiful. Well said. I'm with you 100 percent of the way on your view of your family. I I look at my kids the same way. I I truly see them as uh, individuals that I'm going to want to be around when they grow up. I I I see the future as very bright for them. And I'm constantly uh, whenever I'm asked, I'm always saying, yeah, I I I see the future as very bright for my children
5: my friend that's good parenting
0: yeah th- thanks a lot for that uh, listen what advice would you give new fathers out there <laughs> i would i would say
5: um try and be patient and forgiving and forgiving not just for uh, you know the child but be forgiving to yourself because you're gonna make mistakes as a parent we all make mistakes and you're gonna do things wrong and Feed them something wrong or do something a little bit off. And that just happens. That's part of it. Be forgiving on yourself. Be kind, be patient, and forgiving. Um, it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. <laughs> so yeah, very, very, well so, said. Yeah, try and have your patience. Um, <laughs> because you're, you're, And your life is going to be
0: different and hopefully better as a result. Mine certainly has been. All right. Now, you mentioned in there that you wouldn't take any parts or roles that would take you away from parenting. But looking back, are there any particular roles that you really wish you didn't have to pass up on? Oh, there's a whole bunch of them. I hate to say it because other people played the roles. But, you know, I, I had to
5: turn down Band of Brothers. I had to turn down um, a, a series that was shot in Canada, which would have made me one of the highest paid actors in television. And it ran for many, many years. Um, we were there done, but at the last second it got killed because, um, I would have to fight a, a, a move away case and my attorney th- with my son and my attorney didn't think that I could win that. He just said, I can't guarantee you're going to win this. So I said, so you're telling me I basically have a choice, which is to make all this money and have this great series, um, or I'll be a father. And he says, unfortunately, that's the choice you have. Wow. So I chose, I'll be a father. No problem. Done. Wow. It yeah, took me about that- a millisecond to make that decision.
0: Yeah, that's a slam dunk right there.
5: Yeah, but there are a lot of people who don't make that decision, and it's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, that's part of the reason why I'm on here too, Dean, because I'll tell you what, I drive Uber part-time, and I listen to so many of these young dads, young fathers, talking about fatherhood in such a negative light, and I always try to turn them around and say, hey, guys, you know, fatherhood isn't all that bad. They, They always just have this negative undertone to them about it.
5: Yeah, I don't think it's a negative thing at all. It is the greatest thing that I've ever done. If you look at my Twitter bio, the first
0: thing I say is father. The first way I identify myself is as a father. Fatherhood first. Uh, I share your philosophy on that, no doubt. Okay, tell me about some of your upcoming plans with the family. I'm sure you got a few. Oh, my gosh. Well, my, gra- my son graduates from uh, high school
5: here in, uh, in, in the end of May. And uh, for the first time, I am free to sort of do anything I want to in 18 years as far as work and travel goes. We're going to do a lot of traveling. I know that already. Uh, but he's going to take a gap year. He's going to take a gap year. He's Fortunately, the kid did very well and was accepted to every school. Like he applied to, I don't know, seven schools. And he got into six of them. And he's trying to make his decisions. And he's got some great choices and some really great opportunities. But we're going to travel for a year and, and do a lot of things. I've done a lot of travel in the last, uh, um, a, a tremendous amount in the last six or seven months, eight months. It's been madness, Uh, about nine, ten different countries and and just kind of all over the place. And he traveled with me to a lot of them, Poland and Armenia and England and Spain and uh, Jordan and Israel. And we've had some we've had some incredible times. Um, Australia. Uh, So we're going to continue to travel and I'm going to continue to work. Uh, I'm doing all kinds of different work because, um, you know, if you do a series, Again, I, I won't. I would only do a series if I was a. It was an ensemble, and I was part of the cast. I wouldn't do it if it was my own show. Again, because you're just gone. You're married to that series. If you do that, um, so we're going to see. It's a brand new. It's a brand new world. As soon as he graduates, and I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes. And I'd love it if he decided to come and work with me and be around me. Ah,
0: oh. well, is he showing any interest at all in taking up the family trade? There, you know, he's 17. He's almost 18. He shows interest in everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> but but i encourage him my job as a parent is to expose him to everything and let him decide and 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 i can cur- and i'll encourage him but i won't direct him to do anything you know i'll just say okay this here's this you've seen this here's that maybe consider this or what do you think about that but i but i won't ever tell him where he has to go he shows interest in, in filmmaking because it's fun um but you know he hasn't really dived into it deeply he's been an actor he's very talented in front of the camera actually if he wants to be tall good looking kid um funny with a great sense of humor um i don't i don't know where he's going to where he thinks he loves you know video games and games of that nature so he may he may very well design games and and way out earn his dad that'd be great i can retire on his back
0: all right, Dean, let me give you this scenario now. Let's say you bust in on your son and you catch him binge-watching 90210 on Hulu. How do you respond?
5: <laughs> well, is it my is it my 90210 or the uh, or the new one? Come on, Dean, there's only one Beverly Hills 90210. So, it's got to be mine then. Okay, if he's watching my version, it's okay. As long as, <laughs> <laughs> as long as his homework's done. Actually, he at this point in time, I don't even ask him if his homework's done. He's he has to take personal responsibility. He's learned to do that. And he does it on his own and he's going to sink or swim on his own. He's 18, you know, he's almost 18 at this point.
0: I'd be like, you know, you better be watching dad's version of 90210. That's the only thing I got to say. How have you handled social media with him? Because he's 17. So he grew up right in the heart of that transition from cell phone to smartphone. Like it. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that's a really
5: good question. And and it's very different. I think between boys and girls, um, I was, he doesn't have a Facebook account and he never will. Hopefully. Um, I don't either. Uh, uh, he does have Instagram and he's got, uh, you know, Snapchat and those things, but he's never been too crazy about that. I'm, I've had very clear conversations with him about what he should or shouldn't post, uh, what he should or shouldn't send to others. Um, none of that sexting stuff and things like that. I explained that to him in depth and I've shown him examples and uh, had the conversation. Now, of course she's going to make mistakes somewhere. He hasn't yet, as far as I know, but uh it's a really hard place to 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 cross into. I, I highly suggest that parents, um, you know, you give a, a certain. It's it's trust but verify. Trust that the kids are going to be doing the right thing. Take, set the guidelines for them, but verify. You got to look in. You have to see their tweets. Yes, I knew all of his passwords. I knew every device. I would sign on to it, check it, check his t- not his tweets, but I would check anything, any co- correspondence with his friends, just random checks and go through things, and it got to the point where he didn't even worry about that. He would just show me things and like, hey, Dad, someone said this. What if I said this back? Would that be blah, blah, or, or things like that, or how about if I post this and wrote that? And so as opposed to him trying to hide stuff from me, he he would tell me, oh, Dad, I got this weird you know, message from someone. So what is this? And I'd be like, that's just uh, someone fishing for your information, or it could be some, you know. And so he would talk to me about it. That's the thing. You know, the more you're around your kids, the more you talk to them about it, the more you're encouraged, I, I picked up all sorts of things because of him, like Snapchat. There's no way I was going to get on Snapchat. Yeah, I still haven't figured that one out. I mean, you
0: know, so. <laughs> hey, Dean, that's another reason why I'm out here because I'm trying to stay ahead of my boys with the technology. In fact, last year at my son's kindergarten graduation, when they got up there to say what they wanted to be, seven out of the ten kindergartners said they wanted to be YouTubers when they grow up. So I'm, I'm trying to stay ahead of the game here. And, and if nothing else comes out of this podcast, at least I got a little street credit with my boys where I could say, hey guys, out of the four of us here, who had, who had the number one podcast here? Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, my guys they'll watch YouTube videos of other kids playing video games that they've never even played before. It, it kind of boggles my mind.
5: It uh, I know my son did the same thing. He had a YouTube channel. He was But you know what he did? He was playing he was playing Call of Duty and things like that. Then he started editing his stuff. And he he taught himself all that stuff. And I was like, "You know what? You're learning a very valuable skill. You're storytelling, you're doing things. Um as long as his homework and things were taken care of, Rock on! But I was there. I would play the game. I learned how to play the games with him. Again, it's one of those things. I learned how to be with him. I was with him, so I I took the time. I learned the games. You know, when I would go away, we he liked playing World of Warcraft back in the day, and I would when I was away when I would be in Europe for two three weeks. I would get up, and if you call your you know your twelve year old on the phone, the conversation is like, "Hey, how you doing?" And they go, "Good. How was school? Fine." You're like, okay, you're not giving me anything. So um, I I would go on online and I would play a game with him for an hour. And we would be on the game together, playing the game online and talking to each other. And I would hear all kinds of stuff then. So I just, I, I always say, you know, for me, I just tried to participate in his life, not in an overbearing way, but just be part of it. I'll sit and watch him play video games. I'll sit and watch it now. Him playing video games, we'll talk about the stuff he's doing. We play things together still.
0: My kids will get on there. And it's great because the three boys and I, we can play in the same hockey game, the same car race, the screen splits in four. I mean, it's really awesome. I mean, the graphics are incredible. And it's great fun. And it's, it's fantastic. They're going to get way better than you. Oh, they already are. But I'll tell you what, I'm more impressed with their chess game because all three of my kids, they're very good chess players in their own right for their ages. So I'm more impressed with that. That's a wonderful thing for thinking and thinking ahead.
5: And uh, it's just a, that's a wonderful thing to learn. Chess is a fantastic game. I don't think I would want to play your kids. I think I'd get beat.
0: Oh, they would bury you. <laughs> All right, before I let you go, do you have any kind of final thoughts or final words of wisdom out there for Fatherhood Nation? You know, I just, you know, when you were talking about uh, fathers and fatherhood
5: and people wondering about, you know, what it's like, sure, it's a great, I just want to just say to the the, the, the new or, or considering fathers, those who are about to get into the ball game. I look at my life in a lot of different ways. You can look at life like you can say, "Okay, I remember like my my junior high school that my my elementary school days. I can remember my high school days. I remember my college days. They're like little phases of your life. And you hear this and it sounds cliche. My the biggest and best part of my life has been since my son has been born and the world changed when I got this kid in my life. And, you know, no one's perfect. He's not perfect. I'm not perfect. We do imperfect things, but he is the most perfect guy. I can't I can't tell you, you know, what it's like as a parent. And uh, I at one point in time, one of my guys who works with me goes, Dean, you're going to have to get more. You're going have to have more kids because you have so much love invested. in This This is a guy who had like five kids. <laughs> and He's like, you have so much love invested in this one boy that anything happens to him, it just breaks your heart. And it really does. It destroys you. And I would love to have many, many more kids. It's the most fun and the greatest thing in the world when you, they see you and they're excited and they're happy and the hugs I get from my kid. And, you know, he's like, you're the best dad ever. He tells me I'm the best dad ever, again, five, six times a day. And I, I, I just adore it. And I say to the, anybody who's, you know, getting into this world, it's a big responsibility, but it's the greatest thing. It's been the greatest gift in my life and, and it can be the greatest in theirs. So I would encourage them to embrace it um and 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 be a good present parent you're never going to be perfect but if you're present and you care and you're there you're gonna raise good respectful young men and women and, and I think that's really important right, very soon we'll get a chance to see you take on the role of grandfather perhaps let not let's not say very soon because the kid's only 17. I'm not ready for that yet I don't want to be grandpa yet <laughs> starting a you know you know a, another not, it wouldn't be a second family, but adding on, I would love to be a father now. I'm 50, I'll am fifty. be 52 in June and uh, I would love to have a whole bunch more kids.
0: Okay. Listen, I cannot begin to say thank you enough for taking the time to stop by and share some of your insights on fatherhood. I really appreciate your message and the world could use a lot more dads like you. So best of luck to you and your family on your upcoming travels. And thank you very much for joining me here on First Class Fatherhood. No, I'm honored to be a a, a small part of this wonderful podcast and the message that you're putting out there.
5: I could not be more in support of what you're doing. So keep up the good work. Way to go, Dad.
0: All right. Thanks, Dan. We'll be right back after a quick spot. All right. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. It is with great privilege that I present this very special conversation. We are 32 episodes into the podcast. It is about time you have met the woman behind the man. I have been basically, let's face it, folks, flat out lucky to have landed such a stunning woman to be able to spend life's journey with. So far, it has been an amazing ride. I cannot wait to see what the future has in store for us. She has been my biggest support system through everything I've ever tried, whether that's been selling t-shirts at Belmont Park or that's here doing this podcast. She has always been behind me 100% and you cannot even begin to imagine what that does for your self-confidence to have uh, that type of support system. So uh, with great privilege, I'd like to present to you guys, uh, Mrs. Lace, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
6: Hi, honey. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Got a little shiver there. Let's take the listeners all the way back. Let's go back to when you were pregnant with our first child. We were over a relative's house and there was a baby at the dinner table. Uh, Take us there.
6: Well, I remember being asked if I wanted to hold the baby and I had said no. (laughs) And I remember telling you when we came home that day and you asked me why I was so hesitant and didn't want to hold the baby. And you jumped right in and held the baby. And I felt like because I didn't have any experience with babies prior to being pregnant with our first, I thought people were going to look at me weird (laughs) that I was holding the baby wrong.
0: And it's funny you say that, too, because I think it it does matter. I did. I was exposed to being around children very early in my life. I became an uncle at seven years old uh, to my nephew, Ryan, whose music you hear playing at the beginning of uh, each episode of First Class Fatherhood. Him and his band Like Minded are killing it. Uh, So, you know, please download their LP. Uh, But yeah, I was exposed to children. My sister had three kids pretty much back to back there. And I I had a nephew and nieces early on.
6: And I had zero experience, never changed a diaper, never really held a a newborn, an infant. And... I remember during that pregnancy thinking you were going to be schooling me with our first child because I had zero experience.
0: And I I remember that kind of really dissolved right away, right? Immediately.
6: Yeah, yeah. I definitely felt that instant bond when our first was born and... I remember feeling much different when he was here physically outside.
0: I remember it being like maybe like four or five months had gone by before we even brought up that experience. Been like, hey, remember that time back at the...
6: I I still think to that memory because I feel like it, it centers me and reminds me that motherhood, being a parent, is forever changing, you know?
0: Yeah, and then the transition from obviously from having one to two I've talked about. You heard the podcast there, and I usually tell people... And maybe you can concur for me here on the podcast, the difference between going from one to two and then the jump from two to three.
6: Two to three was definitely the hardest. We were outnumbered (laughs) and he was definitely the hardest sleeper. Uh, I don't think I slept that entire first year. But I do remember being outnumbered with three to two, you know, two parents. and three Yeah, children. I, I
0: think that was the moment for us. It was like this got real, like at the time. One of, my,
6: one of my favorite memories after our third was born was you had to go to work. You You had all these days you saved up to stay home with me, to help me out in the beginning. Because it was, a, you know, a big difference, a big change. And I remember just wanting to go out for the first time with the three of them by myself. And I made this excuse to get, like, diapers or wipes at Target or something. And I had the two older ones inside the cart, our third in the the carrier, in the in the front of the cart. And I went in. I got diapers. I got wipes. We, I got them all packed in the car. Got in, back inside the house. And I remember feeling like a super mom because I just went to the store with the three kids. And,
0: and it does. It builds self-confidence. I know that was the same for me. Like even just to walk with them in the carriage by myself, that's another thing to conquer and you feel good about. Once you get home and you take them out and you get home, you feel like, wow, I did that on my own. It gives you a little bit of a, a little bit of a boost.
6: Yeah, it does.
0: All uh, right. You got to share the story real quick there about our middle son and his uh, kindergarten picture, was it? <laughs> yes,
6: it is. It is definitely my favorite. Favorite memory of our, our, our second son, you know, our second born. And he, had, he was in kindergarten class and they have this thing for Mother's Day called Mother's Day Tea. And the teacher was amazing and had all these fun things, plans that the kids, you know, do for all of us moms, you know, that get us those happy tears going. And she had these portraits that she had your child draw of you. And it was a little game where she had them up on the wall numbered and she knew whose was whose. And you had to guess which one your child drew. (laughs) And I remember looking at the wall and there was one crazy portrait with like red eyes and black spiky hair. And I remember thinking, oh, please, dear God, let that not be my my portrait. And sure enough. That was my portrait. (laughs) And I remember doing the fake smile, like, oh, it's great. I love it. It's wonderful. And I remember, like, thinking, you know, this is crazy that that he thinks I have red eyes and black hair. And on the way home, he's in the car seat with this big smile. We had such a great experience together, a great mother-son bonding experience. And I remember saying, I don't have red eyes or black hair. And he had this silly grin saying, I tricked you, <laughs> and that is him in, in a nutshell, you know, this big goofball to this day, you know.
0: In his mind, that was the, that was the biggest joke of the day, and, and he got you, and it was perfect.
6: Oh, yeah, he just wanted to trick mom, and, and he didn't want me to guess it.
0: <laughs> All right, let's try to get a little deep this year. Maybe you could share with the listeners something personal. What are some of the biggest changes you've noticed in me by adding a girl into our family, the girl dynamic?
6: Well, first, before I, I go into that, I wanted to say while I was pregnant with her and we found out we were having a girl, I would get so emotional at the thought of it after having three boys, not for myself, but any time I would envision our little girl and you holding her or playing with her, that's what would make me emotional, the thought of you, you know, being a father, because you were already a great father with our boys. I, I couldn't even imagine How it would be with our girl.
0: I wonder how many text messages we must have shared during that nine month period of like we're having a girl or that four month period since we found out. And then uh, it was like a constant every day. Like, wow, we're having a girl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just real. Just uh, just amazing that it was going to be real. I
6: I have to say um, when she. Came out in the delivering room, and the one thing that sticks out the most to me was when you said, yep, definitely looks different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: That's the fourth time doing it, and it was like, wow, here it is. Yeah. I-
6: but I do I do want it to go into after she was born and she's here now and it feels like we've had her in our family forever. She's a perfect fit into our family, and she brings such... Excitement and joy, and I think my favorite thing with you, with her is when you get down on the floor and you start playing with her little Shopkins or her Barbies. (laughs) And she asks a million times to want to play with me, daddy. Want to play with me, daddy. I think it's the sweetest thing.
0: And I think too, having gone through it with uh, our third one and how quickly that toddler era went by, I I know with her now, I try to just absorb it as much as I can because I understand how quickly it's going to go. And I and I I wouldn't trade any of the time for the world.
6: Absolutely.
0: What are some of the things that you are looking forward to the most seeing me go through as a husband and a father uh, of all the, um, let's say, opportunities headed our
6: way? Well, thus far, I have to say it's been an amazing experience. Watch you grow into um, the father that you are now and that you have been. I am looking forward to those big milestone experiences. I mean, we have one that's going through puberty right now which is a whole new experience
0: oh it makes me cringe just thinking about it.
6: <laughs> the voice cracking and all that um but having those big talks and you know you're gonna have a lot of them you're gonna have three of them three of those big yeah talks. I,
0: I think more the word puberty makes me cringe more than the actual uh experience of having to tell them what it's all about and all that stuff yeah. so it's just more of the uh, like i did the one thing about the play date and just some of the terminology it just makes it so much more difficult i think to get the message across
6: well, wow, that must be you and a guy thing, I guess, because I don't have that issue. Yeah, you're right. But I, I definitely am looking forward to those big milestones. I mean, we have three boys, so y- you've got a lot of uh, future stuff that you got to take the helm with, the driving, because Lord knows I can't do that, and I'm not going to have the patience for that one.
0: Well, like you say, we got dating, driving, uh, jobs, bosses, colleges, so we got, you know, the, the best is yet to come, so I look Absolutely. forward to it. Absolutely,
6: It's all good, fun stuff.
0: All right. Uh, Mrs. Lace, everybody, I want to say thank you very much for giving us a few moments of your time here.
6: Thank you for having me,
0: honey. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this Friday special edition here on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for joining me here. Enjoy your weekend wherever it takes you out there. If it takes you to the football field, to the soccer field, to the baseball diamond, wherever it takes you, please enjoy your fatherhood weekend. I will see you back here on Monday with a very special guest, former Navy SEAL Carl Higby. So you definitely don't want to miss out on that. Please subscribe. Thank you for joining me here. I'm Alec Lace. You're listening to First Class Fatherhood. And you may not always fly first class, but you are always a first class father.